Amen. Well, so in this series, if you're new, maybe you haven't been here kind of to catch you up. As we started the new year, we started in 2 Timothy, and normally we just preach through books of the Bible. And, and, and the whole goal of this series is this idea of how do you win at life? I mean, how do you actually take steps in your life so that at the end of your life, you have less regrets? And, and really, the guide that we've been using is 2 Timothy. Now, to give you kind of the framework, 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Paul wrote roughly two-thirds of the New Testament, and he wrote 2 Timothy as a personal letter to Timothy. Now, at this point in their lives, Paul is, is well into his 60s. He's facing death. He's sitting in a jail cell. Now, as you may or may not know, 2,000 years ago, paper was not readily available. They didn't have moleskins. They didn't have like easy ways of writing journals and letters. They didn't have email. And so to write a letter to put something down for Paul to send to Timothy means that every word that Paul wrote down was incredibly important to Paul, was something that Paul wanted Timothy to know. Now, Timothy at this point in his life is in his 20s. Now, maybe, maybe for you, maybe you're a teenager or you're in your 20s. And you have a mentor, you have someone who's speaking into your life and somebody who is sharing with you saying, hey, this is, the, this is kind of the pitfalls you can go into. You've probably had that in your own life. You know, you probably can look back in your life and say, man, like there was somebody who was there, there were people who were there, you know, there was a couple that mentored us, there was somebody, you know, who said, hey, this is what marriage looks like, here's how you, you know, deal with finances, here's how you make a budget, and we've all had different mentors over the years. And what those mentors are doing is they're just sharing with us their life wisdom, their hard-fought wisdom. And a lot of times they're sharing wisdom out of their brokenness, out of their pain. It, it, you know this to be true. Most of us uh, make changes in our lives simply because it hurts. <laughs> and, and Paul is sharing with Timothy. He says, Timothy, at the end of chapter four, he says, Timothy, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I, I, have, I have finished and the whole goal of life, what we've said throughout Scripture, the whole goal of life is to get to the end of our life and say, I have run the race that God has placed before me. Now, all of us, though, have different ideas about how to get there. And all of us take in ideas from other people about how to get there. And we look for different advice, and all of us, everybody that we listen to, all the advice we take in is simply telling us how to optimize our life, how to be more productive, how to be a better parent, have a better marriage. All of the things that we take in, whether it's books or articles or podcasts or seminars or counseling, whatever it is, all of those things are telling us this is how you win at life. And we do this through a variety of things. Maybe you have your favorite radio program, your favorite podcast. Maybe for you, the person that you listen to, you know, I have a good friend that he just like religiously listens to the Huberman lab and he's constantly sending me, Josh, this is how you optimize everything. This is what you need to, the 10 things to do before 4 a.m. And I'm like, the 10 things to do before 4 a.m. is to sleep through 4 a.m. You know, but we have all these different ideas. Some of you, you know, maybe you're like, oh, it's Jordan Peterson, it's Joe Rogan, it's this person over here. It's, you know, all these different things. And all of these things, here's what we don't understand many times. All of these things are telling us from their perspective, this is how they think you win at life. And so what Paul does in this letter is he says, Timothy, I want you to know how you win at life. And he's, and he's looked at how we handle relationships because relationships go a long way to us winning or losing at life. You know this is true. You know, if you make, the, the, make a mistake in a relationship choose the wrong friend, choose the wrong spouse, choose the wrong group, you can win or lose 
at life. And so Paul lays out to Timothy and he says, Timothy, there's a guide for life. And he says, not surprisingly, I mean, you, you know this because you came to church, so you shouldn't be surprised about this. He says, Timothy, the guide that you have for life is scripture. Now, here, here's the thing when it comes to the Bible, okay, is one of the things that I get questioned about the most from people inside and outside of the church, whether you have a church background or not, whether today you're a follower of Jesus, is how did we get this? Like, how did we get all of the words that have been spoken throughout history, all of the things that God said throughout history? How is it that we got this? How is it that we got 66 books and 31,000 words in this book? How did it get chosen? And maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, and, and maybe if you are, you're wondering this, what makes this book different than any other religious text? Like, how is this book any different? Especially, especially, and this is one of the, I think one of the biggest roadblocks for a lot of people when it comes to faith, especially when they've watched throughout history this book be weaponized by people in power. How are we, how are we supposed to trust it? If, if there's, you know, over here, there's people saying, well, this you know, the Bible has been used to subjugate women and to do this and to do that and to cause all kinds of pain. How do we trust it that it's even good? Because here's one of the things that I have found in our culture today is that as people come in and are exposed to Jesus or Christianity, one of the questions they have is, is Jesus and Christianity a good thing? Now, if you have a church background, you're probably thinking, why would anybody wonder that? But as you interact with people at work or at school, as you talk to people who don't follow after Jesus, I bet if they're honest, they'll tell you they don't think Christianity is a good thing. They don't think the Bible's a good thing. So there's part of us as we come to this today because there's a, maybe there's a skepticism that you have when Paul says, Timothy, the guide for your life to finishing well and winning a life is Scripture. Some of us go, well, I don't know if it is. Like, how do I know? How do I know that this is true? You know, because I read, you know, this one book or I heard this college professor say this or I watched this special and how do I know this is true? What do we do with lost gospels? What do we do with, you know, all the words that were written 400 years after Jesus and ended up in the gospel of Thomas or this gospel over here? What about, you know, Josh, aren't there like 60 gospels and, and then people, men, just picked four? Is that how it happened? And maybe for you, maybe that's a question that you have. And here's one of my encouragements for you. One of the things we talk about each week is next steps. And one of the things we're sending this week in our next step email is how this came together. Okay, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that today. I'll, I'll kind of intermix it a little bit today. But that is a massive question that maybe you're wondering, how do I even trust these words? How do I even trust these words? And when Paul wrote these words and said that they're inspired by God, how do I know what that even means. And maybe for you, maybe, maybe you've struggled with the Bible, whether you're a Christian or not. And it's good to admit that. If you're a Christian, you should admit if you've struggled with the Bible. Maybe you've read the Bible and you've been bored. It's okay for you to say that. I've read the Bible at different times and I thought, I don't even know what this means. Why is this in here? I've read the Bible at different times and I've been frustrated at things that are in there. I've read it and I thought, I really wish God didn't put that in there. I don't want to follow that. It's okay to admit that. It's okay. 
The Bible can handle it. God can handle it. God's not sitting there going, oh my goodness, like they just don't like what I put in my word. He's not, his feelings don't get hurt. It's okay for you to read the Bible and go, I have no idea what this means. It's okay for you to admit that. That shows humility. Don't be the person who's like, let me just pretend I know what it means. Everybody knows that you're pretending. Even you. Your whole group knows that you're making it up on the fly. They all know. They just don't want to tell you. And we have ebbs and flows. There's, there's moments. Here's the thing. <clears throat> and you've seen this too, the longer you follow Jesus, that maybe you've had moments where you open up the Bible <clears throat> and it's like the heavens part. Right? Have you ever had this experience when you read the Bible where, where you come to church or a worship service, you open up the Bible and it's like the heavens just part and God just speaks and you're like, oh my goodness, it's so clear. I know exactly what to do. And then there's other times you read the Bible, and it's just like a fog is coming out of the Bible. And you're like, I have no idea what to do. Now I'm so confused. And here's the thing, too. The Bible is like a really funny thing, too. Because when people start following after Jesus, do you know what we tell them? We say, hey, read the Bible. And they go, well, where should I start in the Bible? We never say start at the beginning. Do you ever notice this? We never say start at the beginning. If you've ever tried to read the Bible through a year, like you're like, I'm going to read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you probably did great until Leviticus. You got to the third book and you're like, wait, blood, cows, sacrifices, you're like, whoa. How do we handle all of that? And then, as we're going to see, each of the Gospels have different viewpoints, as Paul writes letters to the different churches, he writes different things to them. He doesn't contradict himself, and Jesus and Paul don't contradict themselves. That's always a debate people have. But here's really a, a simple way to think through Scripture, okay? The Old Testament is really laying out the promises of God and who God is and what it is that God is calling his people to become. The New Testament, the Gospels, are showing all the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus. And then from Acts to Revelation, it's Paul and Peter and the disciples making sense of how to live out the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And what we see from Genesis to Revelation is this overarching story. Now, here's what's incredible about this, is that in these books, in these 66 books, there are 31,000, over 31,000 words, Okay. There are over 40 authors on three continents over 1,500 years, all pointing to the same thing, all pointing to who the Messiah is and who Jesus is and what does that mean in our lives. Now, here's one of the problems that, that happens with Scripture is, and I'm going to spend a little bit on this because it's important, we often, one of our biggest struggles with Scripture is that we look to the Bible to do something the Bible doesn't promise to do. We look to the Bible to do something that the Bible doesn't say it will do, okay? We look to the Bible for all kinds of things. We look to the Bible for history, okay? We look to the Bible to give us history. We look to the Bible to give us science, right? We'll often debate you know, the, the merits of creation or evolution or science, and so we'll use the Bible as science. But the reality is, is that the Bible, while it has history in it, the Bible is not a history textbook. 
Okay? While the Bible does speak to science, the Bible is not a science book. And students one day, and if you've been to college, you've sat in a philosophy class where you had a professor who asked this question, are Adam and Eve real people? Are they literal people? And what the professor is asking is, can you trust the historicity of the Bible? Because they think, here's what, here's what we often think, if I can take one piece of the Bible and make it not true, then the whole thing isn't true. I just have to find one thing. And that goes back to the trust. The, the other thing we'll look to, we'll look to the Bible to be a philosophy book, to give us a philosophy of life. And while the Bible has philosophy in it, it is not designed as a philosophy book. Another thing we look to is the Bible to be motivational, right? We all look to Bible verses to be motivational, inspirational, put them on coffee mugs and, you know, knit them and put them up in our bathroom and stuff like that. It's just motivational. And the Bible is not designed to be a motivational, you know, chicken soup for the soul. That's not what the Bible is designed to do. Now, the Bible can do that. Don't mishear me. The Bible can inspire and motivate us, but that's not the goal of the Bible. And the problem is, this is the problem, if we have a goal or a desire for the Bible that God doesn't, we will misread it. Okay, if we have a goal or a desire for the Bible that God, the author of the Bible, doesn't have, we will misread it, misapply it, and miss what God is saying. And so in, this, in these four verses, Paul lays out to Timothy what the Bible's for. He says this in verse 13. He says, evil people and imposters will become worse, becoming deceived and being deceived. Now, if you remember last week, he talked about last days, and he says, as we get closer to last days, evil and difficulty will continue to rise. And he says, evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Paul talks a lot about evil times and difficulty in his letters. And oftentimes, I said this last week, oftentimes we look at our world and say, oh, this is the worst our world has ever been. We'll say our world is just getting worse and worse and worse. But the writers of scripture say, no, the world's always been difficult and hard and evil. And he says, but... One of the things the Bible does is it keeps us from being deceived. He says, as difficulties come, as evil times arise, the Bible is there to say what is or is not truth. Now, here's the thing. This is why scripture and then community is so important because our culture is built on whether or not you feel like something's good. That is the litmus test for everything. Does it feel good? Does that truth feel good? Do you like that? And so we'll talk a lot about, you know, well, th this, is, this is my feeling. This is my desire. This is my truth. Hey, what's true for me doesn't have to be true for you, but that's okay. But what the Bible does is it forces us to ask the question, is this desire true? Because you know this. Just because you feel something just because you want something doesn't mean that it's true, right? There's all kinds of things, especially the older you get. Maybe today you're like, you know what? I'm 60 and I feel like I'm 25, but you're not. You're not. Is that feeling true? Is it deceptive? Will you throw your back out if you try to deadlift more than you can handle? Yes, yes, you will. 
But what the Bible does is the Bible forces us to say, okay, is this desire true? And this is what's so important because you have verses where Jesus says, pray to me and I will give you the desires of your heart, which means that every desire that you and I have is not evil. What the Bible does is the Bible helps us to understand if this is good or sinful, if this is broken or godly. Now, and this is why Paul will will tell Timothy again about community. Because just because we come to the Bible and go, well, I really want the Bible to say this, I really think this should be in the Bible, doesn't mean that it's in the Bible. This is why you need people around you who go, yeah, I don't really think that's in the Bible. I know like you like think it is. I know you want it to be. I know you pretended that it's not in there. Like I've had people tell me like, this is one of my favorite ones. You know, I know the Bible says this, Josh, but here's why I don't have to follow that. Now here's the thing. Usually when we say that, we're about to go sin. Usually when we say, I know the Bible says this, but... Like, I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to be pure, but I know the Bible says I'm supposed to not lie, but like she asked me if that dress made her look fat. What was I supposed to do, Josh? I know the Bible says I'm supposed to be generous and love my neighbor, but like, have you met my neighbor? I don't think Jesus met that neighbor. I think he meant the one on the other side of the house. See, there's all kinds of ways that we can talk ourselves into not following the Bible. I I can do it. And the longer you follow Jesus, you get really good at it. You get really good at it. But the Bible starts to show us whether or not we're deceiving ourselves. And then this is where community comes in. He says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. So he says, Timothy, because there's a part of us that as we age, we start to go, okay, like, well, you know, I used to believe that, but like that was just a very immature version of faith or very immature version of reading the Bible. And it it doesn't mean that like you hold on to whatever it is like that you believed as like a five-year-old. Your faith does mature and your knowledge does mature, but it's really easy for us to throw something out and be like, oh, well, that, that was Christianity in 1995. Paul says, no, 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 hold to what you have learned, firmly believed. You know those who taught you. So this is important. Know the people who are speaking into your life. Do you know the people who are speaking into your life? Now, there's a very good chance that the podcast you listen to, just like I do, I don't know them. I've never met them. But are they trustworthy people? Here's a great question to ask as you take in advice, okay? This is one of my most important questions that I ask as I listen to people. Do I want their life? Okay, as you listen to people, do you want their life? As you listen to someone's marriage advice, do you want their marriage? As you listen to someone say, well, this is how you should parent, do you want, do you want their family? See, often we don't ask, do I want their life? Because the advice that they're giving to you is to get their life. And so Paul says, remember those who taught you. You know those who taught you. 
He says, Timothy, you know, and he's talked before about Timothy's mother and grandmother who passed their faith on to him. And he says, Timothy, you know who taught you. And you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he says, the first thing that scripture does is it helps us to know what deception is. The second thing that it does is it gives us wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ. So scriptures save us and then give us wisdom to grow in our faith. But don't miss, again, the power of that community. This is really important too, especially when your community around you tells you something that you don't want to hear. Okay? Because remember, Timothy is in Ephesus, and the city of Ephesus is one of the most metropolitan cities in the ancient world. It is religion all over the place. So many different religions were found in the city of Ephesus. So many different ideas of truth. There, there were, it was uh, the center of the temple of Artemis, which was one of the uh, just wonders of the ancient world. And, and so Paul says, Timothy, hold fast to what you know. Don't get wrapped up in this trend or this fad or this new way of reading the Bible. He says, no, 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 hold fast to what you know and take everything that comes at you and test it with Scripture. Because somebody will come along, and Paul knows this. He says, Timothy, someone's going to come along and says, is that really what God said? Is that really what's in the Bible? And that question is as old as time because that is the question that the enemy asked Adam and Eve. Is that really what God said? And you've had people ask you this probably if you're a follower of Jesus. Is that really in the Bible? You don't believe that, do you? And Paul says, hold fast. Why? He says, because all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God. And so Paul tells us where we got Scripture from, where it came from, that the Bible came from God. It is inspired by God. This means that the Holy Spirit inspired and spoke through those who wrote the Bible. People will often say, oh, well, Paul wrote this. He said all Scripture is God-breathed before the New Testament was done. There were books written after Paul said this. So that just means he was talking about the Old Testament. That's one of the critiques that will often come up in Scripture. But the reality is, is what you see through Scripture is that the writers of Scripture knew they were writing Scripture. Okay? The writers of Scripture, they knew it. The prophets in the Old Testament said again and again, God says, the Lord says. Jesus told his disciples they would write Scripture. Paul, when he wrote in his different letters, he wrote that he was writing Scripture. Peter talked about how Paul was writing Scripture. The writers of the New Testament, when they wrote it, they didn't go into some kind of trance. It wasn't a dream. They didn't like wake up and go, look at all these words. In fact, this is why each gospel and each letter has a different tone to it. Okay, this is important, okay? So as you read the gospels, often when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, someone will say to them, hey, you should start in the gospel of John. That's usually where we have people start, and it's a great gospel to start with, depending on your personality. Here's why. Matthew wrote his gospel specifically to a Jewish group of people showing who the Messiah was. Luke wrote his gospel. He's a Gentile. He's Greek. He's a doctor. It's incredibly detailed. So when somebody comes to me who has an engineering background or a mathematics background, they're like, hey, I want to start reading the Bible. Where should I start? I usually tell them to start in Luke. 
Why? I mean, it's just filled with details. I mean, Luke, Luke loved details. He never found a detail that he didn't want to include in the Bible. Now, you read John. What is John filled with? John is just filled with creativity. And it's kind of this ethereal look at who the Messiah is. Now, is that for everybody? Well, yes, because it's in the Bible. But is that the best place to start for everybody? Mark? Mark, the way that Mark wrote his gospel, he skipped so many details. Mark couldn't get to the end of the story fast enough. He was that guy who was like, okay, let's just keep fast-forwarding through this. Like, that's how Mark wrote it. Mark's gospel is written from the perspective, get, get this, in 16 chapters, the last eight chapters of Mark are, is the final week of Jesus. Okay? Now, think about Luke. Luke had like 24 chapters till he got to the final week of Jesus. Do you see the difference? Now, why is this important? Because the writers of Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Scripture through their personalities. This is why when we open up the Bible and we sit with community and people say, oh man, like this verse just really speaks to me. And you're sitting there going, why? That verse never spoke to me. Is there something wrong with you? No, it's just your personality, right? It's why you get to, you know, first, second, and third John and and the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. And it's like this, you know, it's like, it's just oozing feelings. And some of us are like, okay, like, here's a great example. We've gone through 2 Timothy. It's this personal letter. I've had numerous people tell me, man, I've, I've loved going through 2 Timothy. It's so much better than 1 Timothy, Josh. Well, what's 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy is like a manual for how to do church. Now, some of you are like, man, 1 Timothy was awesome. Like, we could have spent forever in it. But the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that when God inspired Scripture, He did not write it through robots He wrote it through personalities in specific times and spaces to specific people, right? You read 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Paul is just incredibly angry with Galatians. We're going to go through Galatians and Easter, and he's incredibly, he's just mad at them. He just, he's like, you stupid Galatians. But then he gets to Ephesians, and he's like, you're my favorite church. Why? Because it's different times. And this is what's important is because we'll go to Scripture, and within Scripture is you have books that are filled with history. You have books that are letters written to specific people or specific churches, and then you have poetry. And here's what our problem is, is we read all of these genres the exact same. We go, oh, well, they've got to be the same. Well, no, you don't read poetry the same way that you read a history book. but what do we do with Scripture? Well, it all has to be the same. Well, no, there's images in it. And then we get to Revelation. We get to the, to the last book of the Bible, and, we're like, and we throw out like every rule that we have for reading the rest of the Bible, and we're like, oh, there's got to be a whole bunch of hidden messages in here that we have to find. Well, no. What Scripture is, is it shows us these different ways of knowing God. And then Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, this is how you know God. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Did you catch that? The Bible has one goal. One goal. In verse 17, so that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. When Paul says, so that, 
It's a hint of clause where he's saying this is the purpose. Whenever, whenever Scripture says so that, what follows is the purpose statement. And the word equip means to be provided with what is necessary for a purpose. So if you're equipped for a job, you have all the tools you need to do the job. And so Paul says, Timothy, Scripture is designed and the purpose of Scripture is for you to be equipped for every good work that God calls you to. And then he says, but there are four tools for how this happens. Four ways, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Now, here's the problem that we have with Scripture is that many of us think the purpose of Scripture and the tool of Scripture is just one of these. Okay? The first one is teaching. And this is, and this is learning. This is building knowledge, deeper Bible studies, more, more doctrine. But here's what happens is that we make the goal of the Bible teaching, so we'll say things like, I need deeper preaching. I want more classes. Or we'll say this, we're like, you know, I, Josh, I'm, I'm going to a different church because I'm not getting fed. The goal of the Bible is not for you to have a big head. That's not the goal of the Bible. It is a tool of the Bible. Now, if you don't know truth, if you don't know doctrine, you will never be prepared for every good work that God has for you. You'll get blown around and all of a sudden someone will say, hey, is that true? And you're like, yeah, maybe not, maybe not. So teaching is a goal of Scripture, okay? So it is important for us to open up Scripture together as a church, to open up Scripture in kids and student ministries, in our small groups, to read our Bibles, to read books about the Bible, growing in our knowledge of Scripture. But that is only one of the four tools of Scripture. But you know this to be true if you have a church background. Teaching is like the most important thing for most churches. And here's why. Because we don't want to make the most important thing rebuking. That's not fun. But rebuking is important. Because rebuking says, that's actually out of bounds. Rebuking says, you're, you're way off track now. Rebuking is the conviction the Holy Spirit brings when we're off track and living outside of God's design. And one of the primary ways that comes through is Scripture, and Scripture does rebuke us. And if you ever open up the Bible and don't ever feel rebuked from Scripture, you're reading it incorrectly. I know you're perfect. I know you've got it together. But Scripture rebukes us. And it doesn't just rebuke the other people in your life. It should rebuke you at some point. But Scripture doesn't just rebuke us and say, you know, you should feel so bad. You should feel awful. You awful, horrible person. You're, oh, you're so bad. No, what it says is that it corrects us. So when it rebukes us, okay, because notice the pattern. It teaches us what's good and godly, what's right and wrong. It teaches us where we get off track, and then it corrects us to say, okay, let's get back on track. God doesn't just leave us and say, you know, you guys are just messing up. You've got it all wrong. He says, no, 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 let's get back on track. And then after correcting is training. This is the inspiration. This is the advice. This is when we look to scripture to know what to do next, to figure out God's will for our life and all these questions. How do I handle money? How do I parent? How do I handle this? How do I find wisdom in this? And when you bring these all together, I love what Rick Warren, who's a pastor in, in California said. He said, teaching shows us the path Okay, so teaching says this is the path. Rebuking shows us how we get off the path. 
Correcting shows us how we get back on the path, and then training shows us how to stay on the path. Okay? These are the four tools of Scripture that Paul says. That teaching shows us the path, says this is the way. This is what God has called the church to be. This is what God's called followers of Jesus to be. Rebuking says you're way off now. Like you are so far off, it's not even funny. Like you're not even in the neighborhood anymore. You remember when you played like hot and cold when you were a little kid and they were like, am I hot? No, you're like cold. That's rebuking. And then correcting is when your family's like, you're getting hot, you're getting closer, you're getting closer, you're getting closer. And then training says, this is how you keep moving. Now, here's the thing. Is that each of us emphasizes one of these four things over the other three. Okay? Each of us emphasizes one of these four things over the other three. And we come to the Bible, and this is what I do. I come to the Bible primarily for teaching and training. What does it say? What do I do with it? I like just skip the middle. Okay, that's my blind spot. Each of us has one. You have one when it comes to Scripture. And it's important, Paul says, for us to know which one it is. Because we will emphasize one over the other. And this comes from our background. It comes from our personality. Some of you, you love the idea of rebuking and correcting. You just cannot wait to like start rebuking and correcting people. You're just like, let's just have it. You're just like, let's just start throwing it out. Let's start confessing sins together. Let's just start doing that. And others of you are like, let's just get to the training. Let's just get the inspiration. Let's just talk about like how to, how to feel good. Paul says, if we emphasize one over the other three, if we miss all four, we will never be prepared for the good work that God calls us to. And so when we read the Bible, we don't come to the Bible just for teaching, although it's there. We don't come just for rebuking, although it will happen. We don't come just for correcting, although it will do that. And we don't come just for training, although that happens. We come for all four so that we can be equipped for every good work. So when we read the Bible, we're not reading it just to get a big head. We're not reading it just to feel better. We're reading it so that we can be transformed for every good work. 150 years ago, D.L. Moody said, the purpose of the Bible is not to increase our knowledge, but change our lives. This is why as a church, we say that the mission of our church is to help people take their next step with God. Because that is the transformation step. The mission of our church is not to fill your head with knowledge, although knowledge matters. The mission of our church is not to help you to feel good, although that's great. The mission of our church is not to make you feel bad, although that will happen. The mission of our church is not to just correct and correct and correct, although that will happen as we open Scripture. But the mission of our church is to change lives and to see God move through the power of His Spirit to transform us. And so when we open up the Bible... When we come on a Sunday morning, when you sit in your group, when you teach in kids and students, when you open up your Bible tomorrow morning, the goal is changed lives. The goal is your transformation to be equipped for every good work. And that happens through teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you give us the tools that we need to do all that you call us to. And I pray that as we prepare to take communion together. I pray that you would speak just through this moment 
as we sing together, as we, as we just remind ourselves of the change that happens, the change that has happened in us as we watch baptisms this morning. And so I thank you that you transform us. I thank you that you move in our lives. I thank you that you are moving right now. And I pray that we would be a church that loves your word. I pray that we would be a church that longs for and desires every single week to be changed by you, knowing that you are constantly transforming us. And the best thing that we can bring to our world is our transformed and transforming lives. And we do that through the power of your spirit, as your spirit moves through us, as your spirit speaks to us, not only through your word and through songs, but also through community. In your name, amen.